0: From this particular uh, text that uh, Kirsten's just read, it strikes me that many modern people uh, find unsettling, what they find unsettling about following Jesus, and what I think all of us find unsettling at some point, is that he's not interested in fulfilling your dreams. Have you ever noticed this? When you read what Paul is writing about as he's beginning to sort of uh, turn the corner for home, if you will, at the end of his letter, his lengthy letter to the Roman Christians, it's beginning to be increasingly clear that what this has all been about is not fulfilling the desires of Roman Christians and what they want the good life to be about. See, Christianity is not simply one one way and a host of different ways that we could have our dreams achieved or realized or the good life to be accomplished. It's not just one of many things that we could choose to fulfill ourselves. And I think many of us try to do that. We try to find a pathway that will bring us fulfillment. Some of us do that through work. Some of us do that through family, through, through love perhaps and romance. Others perhaps find it through religion or maybe what some would think and some just particularly within that religion choose Jesus. And all of those are helpful. All of those can be potentially fulfilling. It just depends on who you are. See, what I, what I believe is that most uh, Chicagoans are good with your personal Lord. If you want to claim to follow Jesus and say, this is me and Jesus, it's good for me, it's helpful for me, I believe it, it's true for me. What personal Lord, but what is unsettling to our city and many modern people who call Chicago home is a universal Lord. A, a Lord that we say is not just for me, but for everyone. And is meant to be the Lord of everyone. In fact, he is the Lord of everyone. And what becoming a follower of Jesus is, is merely assenting to, believing, and trusting in the reality that that's who he is. Right? He is everyone's Lord. And becoming a Christian is just agreeing with that reality. This is a way that we become as Eugene Peterson. We have to be so careful. um, Because this is a way Eugene Peterson puts it in his translation of Romans chapter 12. Uh, that we become so well-adjusted to our culture that we fit into it without even thinking. In other words, this is a way that you and I might fit into our particular cultural moment without even realizing it. In other words, that we think, um, it's good for me to have a personal Lord. I don't have to worry about the universal part, because I know people are uncomfortable with that, so I'm not going to pump that too much. I'm just going to say, here's what Jesus did for me, right? Right? I think this is what we all realize at some point as we follow Jesus that God is therefore not about fulfilling your purposes and your dreams he's about fulfilling his through us and that's what he's doing with everybody whether we know it or not that's really uncomfortable right why cuz i like my dreams <laughs> I like the plans that I laid out since I was, a kid. I have, I have a, a dream board that I put together way back in the day, and my whole life is about accomplishing that by my early 30s. And if I don't, well, the rest just doesn't matter because it was supposed to be by my 30s. And maybe if, you know, maybe we go 40s, but who knows what happens after that, right? The psalmist celebrates this fact. He celebrates, he doesn't just begrudgingly go, okay, Lord, you're going to have your way, fine. He celebrates the Lord will fulfill his purposes for me. Isn't that odd? He's going to fulfill his purposes for me. That's strange. It's not even just through me. It's actually for your good. You believe it? This is so counterintuitive to our particular cultural setting that someone else's vision, someone else's purposes, someone else's dreams are the best thing for you. This is what we're talking about, a universal Lord. Not just someone who you talk to on Sundays at 10, or in this case, at 6 p.m., right? But the one who has plans for you that are the best thing for you. They're better than your plans. To be sure, we may have initially come to faith because we were longing for peace and comfort and meaning. And that's good, and that's true. But we soon realized that the reason that God drew him to ourself and forgave us, forgave our sins and our failings, And is presently at work through his spirit he's doing that in order to bring about what paul said in romans chapter 12 his good pleasing and perfect will through you and for you this is what i think the longer you follow jesus the more you settle into that reality the more you realize the plans i had for me were actually not for my prospering it's not wasn't for my flourishing and good and i'm constantly learning and isn't it hard to know whose plans these were right get to a particular place wait is it my plan to get married by this age was it my plan to have children this many 2.3 and to have this kind of house and this kind of job and this kind of life or was it the lord's this is what i think paul has come to understand as a person who has looked at religion for most of his life as a source of meaning and of social power what paul realizes on this damascus road if you will his experience of encountering christ face to face is that his ambition is what he writes about today Uh, What Christ had accomplished in him is what? To fulfill the ministry of the gospel of Christ. That's what he realized the whole meaning of his life was about. Was so that the ministry of the gospel of Christ could be accomplished in him. Now at first blush, this may seem like a calling for ministry professionals, right? We read this and we go, well, yeah, because he's a pastor. He's an apostle even, right? So this is for professors uh, at Christian colleges, this is for pastors, this is for professionals, but this is not for everyone. That's what I want to suggest to you today. I want to suggest to you that Paul lays out in our passage today is not a ministry calling per se for ministry professionals or professional Protestants, right? But rather a calling for humanity. It's what your calling is. It's what my calling is as a human being, regardless of the vocation or the life that you have that's what i want to talk about today i want to talk about why every christian's calling is to preach the gospel why every christian's calling is to preach the gospel so here's how we'll organize our time we'll look at the words of the gospel or we might ask what's the gospel content what's the gospel's nature and then we'll look at the deeds of the gospel uh, what's it mean to obey the gospel does it mean to follow and actually embody this thing and then thirdly we'll look at gospel power or what's the effect the demonstration of that gospel what's it look like when this takes hold Uh, of our world. So we'll look at the words, the deeds, and the power. Let's ask for God's help. Father, uh, left to ourselves, we're already pretty uncomfortable and wish that we didn't come today because we love our dreams that much. Um, It's hard to let them go because our dreams have made promises to us of peace, of importance, of meaning. And so help us. Help us today with humility to release our grip on the purposes or plans or vision or meaning that we have constructed for our life, maybe we don't even know we've done it. Maybe that's why we've been so anxious this week, is because something we think that we have earned, something we think that we have been chasing after, seems now out of reach. Maybe that's why we've been angry, short with our spouse or our friends or our parents or our children. So would you settle our souls? That you are a God, you are a Father who wants good for us more than we ever could want good for ourselves. You are not a God who destroys, you are not a God who destroys us, who breaks us down to not build us back up. Not for our, it's always for our good. So would you help us to trust that and believe that? As we open up your word, would you open us up and would you teach us the truth and beauty of your good news. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody agreed and said, amen. So along with our modern understanding of the gospel, or rather the good life, comes, I think, with a disdain for imposing or preaching the gospel. Even that idea, uh, preaching, is a pejorative. It's a negative term (laughs) that we use uh, in society. In fact, one of my favorite authors just used that word in one of his books from the very beginning, Adam Grant, his book Think Again. From beginning to end, preaching is a bad thing, so I have to read this book and avoid preaching the entire time. It's really frustrating. Um, but I think our friends and neighbors may even say, well, Jesus is good for you, or someone like you, right, who grew up in that context or has those kind of particular needs uh, for your meaning, your fulfillment, and your happiness. Um, something that's good for you. For me, it's, it's something else. So, it's good for you, but not for me. So, don't what? Don't preach at me. Don't preach at me. You can tell me your story, fine, but don't ever act like your story has some sort of bearing uh, in my life. Now, this kind of like moral customization may seem very humble at first blush. Wow, that's incredibly kind and open-minded that you would uh, be there. We looked at uh, tolerance recently. It might seem incredibly generous and tolerant. And so, it causes us to not want to speak the gospel, Right? We may not want to use words to form sentences that clearly communicate who Jesus is in a context like that. It causes us to keep our words to ourselves, right? And this is not at all what the Apostle Paul viewed as his calling. He viewed words as central to what it was that the Lord was calling him to. So let's look at Romans 15, uh, verse 18. He says, For I will not venture to speak of anything. I will not venture to speak of anything, Accept what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Okay, so Paul believed that God had done something through him. Paul believed that something had happened to him, particularly, as we mentioned on this Damascus Road, face-to-face he meets Jesus. And his purpose in life, then, is directly connected with that experience. There, There was a before that experience, and there was an after that experience. Some of us may have a story like that. There was a before that particular conversation or that encounter with a grandparent or a friend over coffee, and then there was life after that. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, I won't talk about anything except what Jesus has accomplished in my life from that moment Through today, you see that? Paul explains something so critical for us in our understanding as followers of Jesus than in Chicago. He says, Yes, Jesus changed me personally, but just because it's personal doesn't mean it's also not universal. He did something in me, I gotta tell people about it. And not just as an autobiography, not just as a narrative that I want to tell about myself, but as something that has deep personal and universal meaning. In fact, the personal nature of his experience causes him to speak to others about the gospel. It's the very nature of it being so important to him, impacting his life, right? Paul's unique calling then is to bring good news to non-Jewish people, a diverse and pluralistic cross-section of society, non-Jewish people with varying degrees of religious history. So church, if you've, you've, been, personally, if you've been personally experienced grace or mercy, or the love of Jesus, if you have heard his good news and believed it, then you've got a story to tell. You have something to say. You have something to talk about. If you have opened up his scriptures and you go, I never knew that before. If you have had understanding given to you, because we can't understand this thing without the help of the Holy Spirit who shines brightly through the scriptures and helps us to understand its truth, you've got something to say. And Paul then gives us a framework to think about as he, what preaching the gospel is all about. So look at 18 on into 19. He says, By word and deed, you see there after many of your translations we'll have an M dash there, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. You see, we're going to talk about words, we're going to talk about deeds, and we're going to talk about power. That's where our outline is coming from. That's where the flow of thought that Paul gives us. What does it mean to preach the gospel? It has a little bit of word, a little bit of deed, a little bit of power. So we're going to look at the word first. See, Paul is bringing singular good news to a diverse group of people. He's talking to a lot of people, a lot of different kinds of people. So you might think, well, Paul never met my neighbor. He was talking to the non-Jewish world, a diversity, a plurality of different kinds of people from all different backgrounds. He says, Jesus is for you. Jesus is for you. Jesus has something to say to you, something to do. And first, he does this through word. So what's the word of the gospel? Well, as we've considered throughout Paul's letter, the gospel is is fundamentally a message. It's an announcement. It's good news. Euangelion is the Greek word where we get this idea of good news, and that's exactly what it is. It's an announcement. And we've talked about this at length and other times, but as a refresher for what I believe Paul is talking about when he talks about the gospel. He's talking about the fact that Jesus lived historically. He's talking about the fact that Jesus died sacrificially, that Jesus was buried literally, that Jesus rose victoriously, and that Jesus ascended authoritatively. And together those five movements if you will of the content of the gospel the the words that we speak that, that summarize the nature of the gospel all of this can be summarized with the announcement that Jesus is Lord. Now why is that not personal? Why is it universal? Because Paul took euangelion. He didn't invent that. He took it from the cultural moment in Greece, in Rome, in the Greco-Roman world. You know what the euangelion at the time was there? Caesar is Lord. That was the good news. So if you were a modern person, what was your announcement? It's that Caesar is Lord. And if you didn't proclaim that, you were in trouble. So Paul comes along and he goes, nah, watch this. Jesus is not just some religious person for some people or one story for some people. I'm going to come and pillage the word of the day and say, actually, Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. So anyone who says Jesus is Lord, I need you now to say what? The new good news. The good news actually is that Jesus is Lord. Do you, do you see that? It's personal, but it's also universal. Paul is saying something happened to me on the Damascus Road, and everything I've done since then is a product of that. And what, what does it result in? It results in this announcement that Jesus is Lord. Not my Lord. I mean, he is my Lord, but not just my Lord. Is it, isn't that unsettling? I'm, I'm really good with him being my Lord. That's nice. That's comfortable, right? Looking at my neighbor and go, hey, we got to (laughs) talk, right? But if we realize, actually, my neighbor, my kid's teacher, that parent I pass, at pick up and drop off, they were just like me before, who did not know what I know, who did not see what I see, who does not enjoy what I enjoy, who does not have a relationship with the God of the cosmos, and why would I bite my lip and say, I just don't want to offend. That's really hard. Part of the reason is we haven't done a good job about this, have we? I mean, as a church in general, throughout the generations, we've taken this way too far and been really critical and really judgmental. See, speaking does not mean we're not curious, right? Speaking does not mean that we're judgmental. Speaking does not mean we are not listening. It is actually in our listening that we learn to speak appropriately to the person with whom we are in relationship, right? I mean, this is what Ted Lasso taught us, right? You're all thinking it, right? Right? Be curious, don't be judgmental. It might as well be a prophet of the day, right? He says, Jesus is Lord. But Paul constantly was interacting with people in important places, and important times, interacting with the ideas of the day, loving people, serving people, but also speaking. So the charter tonight is go out and you better start talking to people. It's we should listen to them. But we should also be ready to speak and to give a reason, Paul says elsewhere, for the hope that we have in Christ. See, Jesus is Lord regardless of our awareness. And the calling, then, of kingdom people is to share with words this good news. But it's not just that. We don't simply speak the gospel as a message. We actually obey the gospel in our deeds. Notice in verse 19, that first part, he says word and deed. You see, the gospel is not simply something we talk about. The gospel is an invitation into the life as God intends. See, if we read the Bible, if we were to read the Bible, rather, cover to cover, We would not get to the end of Revelation and simply say, well, I've got a story to tell. We would say that. I really have a story to tell. We would also get to the end of that and say, I need to live differently. Are you with me? I wouldn't read that whole thing and just go, man, I just need to tell a bunch of people some stuff. I would go, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It'd be like one of those old school moments, right? Where I realize there is something in my life that needs transformation, that needs healing, that needs love that needs joy, that needs peace, right? I'm realizing I need to live differently. And this dichotomy is actually what splits conservative and progressive Christian churches today. See, while often, or while conservatives are often all about getting our doctrine right and our truths right and our words right, right? Progressive churches are often focused on living, living in love toward their neighbor. But the gospel is always both. So if we ever become a church that says we just need to make sure everybody hears something we have to say, we're only half right. If we ever become a church that said we just need to make sure everybody knows that we love them, we're only half right. The gospel is word and deed. In in 2 Thessalonians, Paul explains the devastating implication of missing the deed of the gospel, the life of the gospel, obeying the gospel. He says that judgment will come to those, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8, who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel, the gospel of our Lord Jesus. What could he mean by this? Well, while Jesus is our Savior, he's also our supreme example. So ultimately, if we choose one gospel, gospel of word or gospel of deed, over and against another, we've actually chosen one version of Jesus over and against another. If we only believe that we're supposed to say something, we we'll go, well, Jesus saved me, and I need to tell people about it. But he is also your example. He's also the one that showed you how then shall you live. He's also the one who embodied the truth of the gospel that he spoke. And so in every movement of the gospel storyline, we find instruction. We find clarity about what we're supposed to do. When we believe his message, we are expected to perform his deeds. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 11, Take my yoke upon you and what? Learn from me. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your weary soul. Don't you love that when Jesus says, learn from me, he doesn't say, go tell people this. Go tell people this. He does tell people a bunch of stuff. I mean, one of his, he's a teacher. People call him rabbi all the time. Is a form of affection. He had a lot of words to say. But when he says, learn from me, he says, I'm gentle. I'm lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your weary soul. See, resting in the Lord is not about doing nothing. Resting in the Lord is about doing nothing but what He does. Doing nothing but what He does. He says, learn from me. And then we follow the flow of the gospel. Listen to this, church. We're supposed to live like Him. He lived historically. We're supposed to live in history like Him. We're supposed to die to ourselves like Him. He he died in our place and for our sins. We're supposed to die, if you will, just like He did. And we're supposed to identify with him in his burial through baptism. You know, when we're baptized, it says we identify with Christ in the form and the way that he was baptized. We're supposed to rise from the power of Satan's sin and death through a life of holiness. We're supposed to mimic, we're supposed to obey the resurrection, if you will. And finally, we're supposed to live like he is ascended, like he is at the right hand of God right now with a kind of faith that doesn't just say Jesus ascended one day and that's part of the gospel narrative, but actually I embody that reality. I embody that obedience. You see, the gospel is not simply talk. So if we just talk about it, we've missed it, church. We're merely a conservative church that likes one kind of Savior, one kind of Jesus. But if we merely only obey and love and embody this, then we are merely a progressive church and only one version of Jesus that he's our example. The gospel is is inhabited by God's people as both evidence of our faith as well as a witness to those around us about the beauty and truth of the gospel. See, can you imagine if we became a church that what we said people saw, right? Because isn't that our irritation with anybody, that they say one thing and do another or they do one thing and say another? Can you imagine if the church brought truth and beauty together in a full picture of the incarnation of the body of Christ that we're supposed to be? Do you know why we're called the body of Christ? We're supposed to look like him. We're supposed to sound like him, and not just by ourselves, and not just from a stage, but in all of the shapes and ways that God has called us. We're all supposed to preach the gospel. We're all supposed to do it. It's beautiful. See, we don't just say he's Lord. We live as if he is Lord, because that's who he is. In fact, if we don't live as if he is Lord, but we say it, we're hypocrites. That's Matthew 23. And if we live as if he's Lord, but we don't say it, we're cowards. That's Matthew chapter 10. We cannot simply have one aspect of the gospel or one aspect of preaching the gospel without the other. Preaching the gospel is about what we say, but preaching the gospel is also about what we do. Now, if the gospel were just word and deed, we'd still be a pretty self-involved faith, if you think about it. Just about us. (laughs) We said the right things, and we are obeying it, and so that magic formula means we're going to be incredible. We're awesome. Look at us. We did a great job. Jesus is going to say, well done, good and faithful servants. Right? It would still be a bit of a personal reality and not a universal one. See, in our passage, Paul is not simply focused on himself and his ministry, but he is using his ministry to communicate how the gospel works, how it expands. He's also calling our attention, in other words, to the power of the gospel. So we've looked at the word and the deed and now the power and its effect on society and the world around. Look at verse 19 following into 21. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around Elykrum I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named lest I build on someone else's foundation but as it is written Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So Paul is talking about doing something that he cannot do. He's talking about setting up a ministry or a vocational plan where he necessarily needs the Holy Spirit to show up to complete this vocational goal. In other words, he realizes that the dreams that God has for him, the plans that God has for him, are not without God being active in his life, bringing about those purposes. Do you know, church, that God will never lead you to a place where you do not need him? He will never lead you to a task where you can do it on your own. He will never give you something that's right in your wheelhouse and you go, Jesus, it's cool you got the day off because I memorized that verse and I know exactly what to do, right? Right? You are always going to go somewhere where you need the Spirit of God to lead you. Even Jesus, when he is baptized and goes into the wilderness, do you know who he's following? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. God, help us. May we not be a people who think we're supposed to go places without the Spirit of God leading us there. Right? This is really hard to learn. This takes help. This takes groups. Right? I know what I think I'm supposed to say. I know what I— supposed to do, but I'm not sure if this is the time and place, because without the Spirit of God, you have no power of the gospel. You have none. You don't, I don't. See, Paul is saying something, Paul is doing something, but he is also witnessing something. He's also witnessing something. He's essentially saying the gospel is going everywhere, to places that people have never heard, and people are starting to understand stuff that they didn't understand. In other words, what? This is not about me. Can you, some of you got this story. Some of you have this story that we look at each other and we go, only God could have done that, right? You sit in group and you hear this person talking like, that's a different human being. This is a different human being. There is no way that is still them, right? In other words, we didn't just say the right stuff. We didn't just do the right things. We witnessed something. Are you with me, church? Can you even imagine if in a couple of years we look at Logan Square and we go, this isn't a, we didn't do this. We looked at Hermosa I and mean, we didn't do this. And in fact, Church in the Square was barely showed up. But it was also this church and that church and that community and these people. And all of a sudden, it wasn't about the brand or name or fame of a church. It was all of a sudden, we're just witnessing something. That's when we know we have the gospel. If you can brand it and sell it, you don't have the gospel. If you can say, we got the right words and the right actions, and if you put these things together, church. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. Salvation everywhere. No, yeah, we got to witness something. The Lord is always going to lead us somewhere where we desperately need Him. And church, I think we are often there, aren't we? We're often in a place, I know we are dealing with stuff in our families, in our marriages, and in our groups, where we just go, I don't know, there's not a book written on this. And even if there was, I don't think that's what we need. I think we need to wait on the Lord to renew our strength. I think we're waiting, waiting for him to show us what the gospel really is about, and it's not about our words and deeds only. But isn't that what you want to be a part of? See, this is the thing that our plans never have. They never have the power, (laughs) right? So the plans we make, we I've got the right words and the right things to do, and if I do this in my career path, I'll have it on lock. What if we started to make plans that go, all right, I really need you to show up, because I'm going to sacrifice these resources, I'm not going to go take that job, or I'm going to wait on you for that relationship, and all of a sudden, we started backing off the control, the fear, and replaced it with trust and humility. That's where the power shows up. This is what Paul is doing. He is doing something that we all would have gone, this is a bad idea. You want to plant churches with non-Jewish people? They're not even close. They're not even close to God, right? They're not even close. You're going to Chicago? You ever get that call you, or that text? You're like, Chicago, you're going to stay there for how long? You're going to go to a school there? Really? You're going to take a job there? I thought you could, like, I thought there was a two-year plan. Can you, you're like, I know we got the words. I know we got the Ds, but the power, the power. Like, I want to witness something. I think this is what Paul is getting at He says, by the power of signs and wonders and by the power of the Spirit of God. By the power of the Spirit, the gospel is spreading and birthing fruit, bringing about produce, spiritual produce that words and deeds cannot account for. Don't you want a story, church, in your marriage, in your relationship, in your own heart that you go, I cannot explain this. I know who God is. I know what his word says. But this is different. You want to witness something? That's the gospel. Can you imagine the power of the gospel taking hold beyond reason, beyond our logic, beyond our effort? This is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about a kingdom result where he is stepping back and he's just saying, Look, from Jerusalem all the way around the Mediterranean Sea, the gospel is taking root, and that wasn't supposed to happen. Church, we've got words. Let's say them. We've got deeds. Let's do them. But let's not fool ourselves in thinking that we do not need power, the power of the gospel to witness the God of heaven bringing heaven to earth for his glory and our joy. Let's pray. Father, this is what we desire. So many of our plans are all within our power, And when we accomplish those plans, we can explain it. Would you forgive us? That comes from fear and not faith. It comes from control and not surrender. It comes from pride and not humility. And we want to be a people. We want to be the body of Christ that speak and behave and witness the power of the gospel. And so, Father, would you do that? Would you begin in our lives where we would begin to build plans that are doomed to failure unless you are in them? Plans that bring about flourishing of our neighbors, not just the flourishing of our bank accounts. Plans that bring around peace and joy and food and nourishment and rent to those who are in need, not just seeing our well-being move from one house to the next. Would you help us to be a people that speak, that act, and that witness so that more and more of your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our hearts and on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.